Welcome to Antimatter Pod, a Star Trek podcast where we discuss fashion, feminism, subtext and subspace, hosted by Annika and Liz. We're joined today by our very first guest, Ellie, as we discuss The Cage, the original rejected Star Trek pilot. So The Cage was filmed in 1964. It was the original pilot for Star Trek. uh, And the expectation was that it would either go to series or it would be aired as a standalone movie. And instead something completely unprecedented and very rare happened. And the network said, this is very interesting, but we don't like this pilot. Please make a completely different one. And, And so they did. And so The Cage sort of endures as this very strange little artifact, which... At some points, people said it wasn't even fully canon, and then Discovery came along set several years later, and soon the Cage's Captain Pike will be commanding Discovery. There is the episode where they, it's a two-parter where they split it up, and it's like Spock's flashbacks, or or I think it's like a recording. (laughs) They randomly watch a recording because he's on trial for mutiny. So I guess it wasn't completely random. (laughs) It had a purpose, but it's a completely random episode. (laughs) They they, uh, couldn't get Jeffrey um, Jeffrey Hunter back as Pike, so they popped some guy in some terrible, terrible wheelchair, completely unable to speak or communicate except with flashing lights. (laughs) Who wants to recap the cage? So we start with sad uh, Captain Pike, who is tired of his job, and um, they get a... uh, distress call from a planet uh, saying that it was this way, like a lost ship um, that apparently crashed, landed on this planet, and at first he doesn't want to go, but he gets talked into it, and they... Uh, In fairness, I just want to say, he, he doesn't want to go because he doesn't believe there'll be survivors. He's not a complete monster yeah. who's so burnt out, he's just ignoring distress calls. That's true. And he, he gets talked into it by his doctor friend who for some weird reason, is also a bartender uh, mixing (laughs) drinks like an old-timey snake oil salesman while wearing a That scene is so amazing. (laughs) There's so much to talk about. Okay, I've been trying to get the the story out. So they beam beam down to the planet, and they find the uh, lost ship, uh, the survivors, and it's a bunch of uh, old scientists and one hot girl. And I like to call her Manic Pixie Dream Vina because that's exactly what she is. And she definitely just gets, you know, she gives Pike a reason to, uh, to figure out his life while he's being trapped by crazy telepathic aliens who have uh, forgotten how to do anything other than be creepy telepaths. And so their plan is to repopulate the planet uh, with... Vina and uh, and they decide that Pike is the perfect man for it. And I believe uh, Vina's words are, "He is the perfect specimen." <laughs> um, but uh, Pike is uh, not interested in in being uh, Adam and uh, and recreating their creepy telepathic race as humans. I the whole thing is really strange. Um, and then uh, so eventually he threw both force and like <laughs> rage that they can't they can't read his thoughts when he's really really angry and hates them uh and uh he he breaks through all of the illusions and they decide to let him go and and then he's he's better he's he's uh 
He's found a new lot in life, and Bina stays for terrible reasons. Which we will discuss. And along the way, he gets to experience a series of illusions of other lives, the sort that he was fantasizing about with Dr. Bartender. You know, normal things like being married and having a family back home and being a sex trafficker. You know, completely normal fantasies that aren't problematic or troubling in any way at all. But they do all involve AstroTurf. There's also the space Ren Fair. <laughs> that too oh gosh and they man- they managed to splash out budget wise they were able to rent a horse an actual horse uh, i was impressed by that <laughs> tango i feel like it was the 60s there were a lot of westerns being made there were just horses everywhere That's true, yeah. couldn't down walk a walk down a street in los angeles without a horse turning up i assume so where do we should we start in our analysis the Cage was my very first exposure to pre-Next Generation Star Trek. Oh the my. Cage and I'm sorry. The Undiscovered Country. No, no, it's great because then Discovery came along and I was like, this is clearly made for me. And so I'm very fond of The Cage, even though watching it last week, I was struck by how it's even more sexist and problematic than I remembered. I had only seen the, the two-parter <laughs> version um, until... When it was, it started when Star Trek showed up on all the streaming services, and um, I realized that uh, it was available um, as it was like you know episode zero. Not on all of them though. This is a a weird thing that I noticed because I have every streaming service because I have problems. Um, And on CBS All Access and Hulu, the Cage is not available. You can't watch it. But on Netflix and Amazon Prime, you can. That is so strange. I, I cannot explain it. <laughs> I, I, I was like, maybe it's a rights issue, but, I, but, it, but it doesn't make sense. So, so just, it's, you know, it, it's who thinks it's Star Trek, I guess. But yeah, so, and so until like Netflix, until Star Trek was on Netflix, I hadn't seen The Cage as its own episode. I'd only seen it cut up in, uh, in Spock's episode. It seems very strange that CBS All Access doesn't carry it because it's going to be a fairly big part of Discovery this year, next year. Well, a lot of things don't make sense about CBS All Access. I've gathered that impression, yes. Seeing this for the first time, uh, my initial sort of overall take on it is that it is very bad, but it is a fascinating sort of bad. (laughs) It is the kind of bad that you want to pick over, you want to discuss, you want to, you know explore all the different ways that it is bad and sometimes you think of something as being so bad it's good no i think it's still bad but again there's there's so much to unpack from it that uh that i I had a lot of fun watching it yeah you can absolutely see how a decades-old franchise came from this and you can absolutely see why it was the right thing to reject this pilot yeah, yeah. right and and so it's it's interesting that you say that it's um, bad but in a fascinating way that you you want to think about because I feel like that's what the executives at NBC also thought they were like wow this is terrible but something is there and and we want it like we want to see more of it we just want it to be completely different from this right I bet I bet that's that's probably what they said, something along those same lines, yeah. But again, it, it, it's nice that it still exists as this sort of artifact, which wasn't really even uncovered. People didn't even see it until decades later. 
But it's this artifact yeah. that we can then kind of look back at and, and pick out, okay, we see how this ended up in the series or that ended up in the main series. Um, and and kind of pour over it as sort of like this, this, this apocryphal document. <laughs> Did you want to talk about uh, wardrobe, makeup, hair, uh, just sort of the, the, the fascinating fashion choices that were made? The aesthetic. I have to say modern televisions are not kind to these costumes like you can see how badly they fit how poorly they've been made how cheap the fabric is it's terrible the, the coloring is off too on the prosthetics you can actually see the sort of the line that the latex cap makes along their, their foreheads and whatever effect that they had to create these veins on these bulbous heads which i will go ahead and say right now those heads look like butts uh, there's no no way around Someone it. Someone had to say yeah. it. Yeah, um, but these 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 pulsating veins, it, it looks like they put a, a great deal of effort into creating this effect, and it still looks terrible. But you could tell they tried. They really tried. You've got to respect the work. <laughs> yes. <laughs> I like uh, so at the very beginning after it, like Pike leaves the bridge and he goes to his quarters to mope. And he passes like this random couple in the hallway yes! and they're just wearing like regular clothes. And I love it. Like, I was like, oh, look, she's like, you know, she's going to go play space tennis in her, yes. in her little there's dress. There's a dude in shorts and a t-shirt. And I made a note <laughs> of that. I'm like, why are these red? Did they walk onto the set? And they just, they just forgot to <laughs> cut like, that part out. That's fine. Hey kids, you want to be an extra? No, we don't have no costumes, no makeup. Just, just walk down this fake hallway. And, and I was sort of like, are they trying, is this like, are they saying, hey, we're not military? Like, what, what is the purpose of these random people in the hallway wearing their casual clothes? I, and I, I really, like, I had to pause and write, write about it because I was like, I need to know more about these people. As ridiculous as the costumes are, at least seeing that girl proves that it's not just number one and yeoman cult as the only representatives That's of women true. on the ship. Like, there's at least three. Since, you know... Pike seems to think that their women don't aren't really there. So, and number one doesn't quite count as a woman, which I think was a really winning, oh, yeah. winning strategy to take in communicating with your first officer. She's not the like the other girls. Him, it was this look of barely restrained rage, and you could see that rage, but she 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 holds it back. But you could tell that she's thinking, yes. "Oh my God, this guy! Why why do I have to deal with this guy?" That was the moment as a child of about 11 or 12 that I fell in love with number one. Absolutely. In fact, I was reading Memory Alpha and according to one of the producers, it was not the network or the female test audience that had a problem with, with uh, number one. In fact, they rather liked the character, but they didn't like Major Barrett in the role. Uh, they didn't think she was a good enough actress. Poor Major Barrett. But at least she, she, she brought us so much later on in her life. So much. Yes. Well, the thing is, I don't think her performance here is bad. And I'm wondering if the network perceived it as a bad performance because it's just totally devoid of any sort of feminine pretense. Absolutely. Because, and I mean, she's, they, they, and they pointed out, they like more than once are, you know, like yes. put a spotlight on the fact that she's not feminine enough. And even right now with Michael Burnham, people have trouble responding to a female character who has emotion but generally doesn't display them performatively. Does, doesn't emote quite so yes. eh, the way we're used to seeing 
women emote on television and movies. And I think with her, yes. she she was something ahead of its time. You know, her her performance, her characterization of this this character was so ahead of the time that they just couldn't handle it. Perhaps. I agree, and I think she was even further ahead of the time than the writing because the writing treats her lack of emotion as something which uh, weakens her as a woman but she doesn't seem particularly insecure about it she's more irritated than anything else exactly when, when people suggest that yep the only the only flaw in her performance is not so much her but that wig they put her in I I don't care for that wig it's uh it's an unfortunate wig Yes, it really is. And I think that's because they spent their whole wig budget on Dina. <laughs> yes. Like, every single... Every version of her has a different wig. A lot of wigs. I do like a Yeoman Colt's wig. I like the, the bangs, which I characterize as 90s girl bangs. And so I just... I, and I had forgotten what her name was, so I just started calling her Yeoman Bangs. And I love... And that that's a cute look. That's a fierce look. She really rocks. Them. It is, and the and she has a you know the cute little bow that she has in the back. I'm just like oh. When you say '90s bangs, it's like yeah, she's like a sailor scout. <laughs> like that's oh, that's what yeah. I was like. She looks just like she's like sailor Venus hanging out over there. It's perfect. So <clears throat> yeah, I, I but whereas um, number one's hair, I kept again. I kept like trying to understand the back of her head because it was like yeah. there were there were braids and there was something green and I was just like what is going on with like what is actually this hairstyle I don't quite understand it I think there was a green ribbon braided into her hair but most of her hair is down it was very confusing it was very confusing it was like trying to be a flip on the end but not didn't quite make it so it kind of just sort of hangs there sticking up in a weird way um, I did, however, yeah. love the the blue nail polish, which is also ahead yes. of its time. Back back in the sixties, I don't know if you saw that color nail polish that much. I I, I don't think you did. I recall it kind of starting to become a thing in the nineties, but back then I don't it, know. It was space nail polish. Right, exactly. <laughs> everything is very space, and and that's what like literally everything sparkles. Everything sparkles. Even the prison blanket is like sparkling in the lights. We're going to get on to TNG, which is the era of uh, shiny fabric for bedding. Yes. So, yes, a shiny you know, blanket. starting as we mean to go on. <laughs> yep. I so, love so space fashion. Their glitter budget must have been huge for this. So many sequins. But yeah, that blue nail polish, I would love to see OPI uh, replicate it and like issue like a special edition number one nail polish. I remember one of the tie-in novels set in this era, uh, Pike likes to gauge number one's mood by the colour of her nail polish. Oh, nice. And, and blue is like her neutral, contented <laughs> I That's love that. That's just like me. Uh, Venus, I have to mention Vina's eyelashes oh, yeah. <laughs> because they're amazing. And I was just like, wow, you're mesmerising. I understand why he's like fascinated by you because just just those eyelashes are enough just the the cat's eye eyeliner perfect in every respect and yeah and the, and it all just frames her eyes so well she, yeah and she is a really beautiful compelling actress and i don't believe her as an 18 year old the manic pixie dream vena <laughs> but in her other persona because the actress was in her 30s at the time 
in her other persona, she's really, really good, mostly, given the style of the era. Yes. And uh, speaking of style, uh, it was interesting. You mentioned earlier uh, that skirt she wears in the beginning. And in my notes, I wrote, what is what is the blonde skirt made out of? Is it a failed arts and crafts project? And why does she sound like she's on barbiturates? Well, that's just how desirable women spoke back then. I know. And it, it's it's such a foreign concept now that I'm just like, are you are you on some kind of drugs? I, I don't get it. The breathy sound. I don't know. It's just... It, disconcerting to me in a deep level she's a dream girl it's that's what it is it's it's this you know not quite real aspect everything about her including her voice is not quite real and I liked that when she had the most like control over what she was doing herself like she wasn't playing a part and she also like she wasn't playing a part for the Talosians but she also wasn't playing a part for Pike was when she was like angry at the other women showing up <laughs> and like that yes. that whole scene and her voice was different there because she was like she was very petulant and very like but it had like this 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 harsher sound to it because it was like her, it had a bite a bite yeah not not this you know false version of the i can be whatever you need me to be yeah terrible writing you know women turn up and immediately she gets jealous, but at the same time, it's a great performance. Yes. Yeah, I mean, when, when the women throw, uh, show up and it's the three of them, and she, you know, the other two are just sort of like, what is even going on? And she's already having a fit. But they are, they're not jealous and they're not like, they're, but it is weird. There is a weird vibe after that point. And of course, at the end, Colt really does want to know, like, who was going to get to stay. So it's it's a really strange, terrible, not I like I, I it makes me uncomfortable that whole the whole situation. But at the same time, it's interesting that like the back end of the of the whole episode is really just Pike and three women wandering around doing everything. So it yeah. it's yeah. It's, yeah. it's this interesting like, huh? It's actually like uh, more women than men on screen right now, even though it's this sort of terrible context. Bechdel test what? There are more women with speaking roles in this episode than in whole stretches of Enterprise. <laughs> That's so terrible. That's a sick burn, but it's a good one. <laughs> like yeah. But I was interesting in my notes, I was, the way that she was acting, at least for some of it, I wrote, I wrote in here, what will WTF did they do to her to make her act like that? What kind of, you know, what did they even do to her? Because they, they even said about uh, the way that they were testing him. How, you know, she must have been there for a very long time. But over the years, what did they even do to her that caused her to be, you know, have this persona of, of needing to please this man that suddenly shows up. I feel like she's probably spent decades uh, trying to please the Talosians. And that has some very disturbing, you know, connotations. Vina's story is terrible. Yes. Because at the end we learn that she is not a beautiful young woman, but she was a crew member on this science ship, presumably a scientist in fact, though she's a woman, so who can say. Um, and she was the only survivor of the crash, and she was grievously injured. And the Talosians put her back together, but didn't actually know how to do a proper job of it. So she's terribly deformed. And, and, and this whole persona of youth and beauty is a complete 
illusion and one that she embraces because it's I think easier for her than facing reality they say she's not in pain but is she really not in pain or is that another illusion so like she's participating she in, in this whole plot to breed a race of human slaves to serve the Telosians but I find it really interesting to wonder uh how culpable she is and how much is just the psychological effects of the state of her life for the last 18 years yeah yeah it's like i I can't imagine anyone coming through that without some some serious just almost a damaged mental state uh maybe an inability to really understand what is reality and what isn't because for so long she probably had no distinction between and she does She is the one who points out that it's like a narcotic and that it's like an addiction. So I, I feel that even though she's talking about the Telosians, she, I, she is also participating in the, that aspect of the, the fantasies. And, you know, and so she sort of, like addiction, she hates it and she doesn't want it, but at the same time, it, she feels better when she is doing it. Agreed, agreed. And I think that makes it even worse that Pike has left her, like, agrees that she should stay behind at the end. She, he's like, she had her reasons, and for what it's worth, I agree. Ugh. Ugh. She, she's basically been a prisoner for this whole time, and I'm sorry, but the Federation can, in fact, fix her injuries and yeah. give her plastic surgery. Like, that was a concept and a thing that even existed in the 60s. And how about mental... <laughs> she, she can have therapy, and, yeah. And, yeah. and then she, she will be, be, you know, better off in every way, basically. Yes, and be, being around <laughs> other human beings, that yeah. also... <laughs> right, what, you know, just being with with real people as opposed to imaginary people. Um, and, and knowing that everything around you is real and not another illusion. Right. Yeah. I, I mean, it's, it's a horrible, horrible idea to leave her there. And, and these, are, these are not aliens within the Federation. They're, and they're, they're terrible. They admit that they're terrible. They ruined their yeah. planet. They ruined their race. It's like there's nothing good going on on this planet. And coming back again, it's even worse that, that Spock decides that he's going to bring Pike back there too. It's like, what is wrong with all of you? You need, you need some serious intervention here. Um, I, was, look, I was looking actually at, at, at the, uh, the pre-show notes, and uh, this is an interesting uh, thing that somebody, one of you wrote down was, uh, the Telosians might have, uh, they may have giant brains, but they seem kind of stupid. Uh, like the idea of trying to breed a slave race from two people, one of whom is probably postmenopausal, And so that's like interesting, yeah. It, it, that was me, and I, because I... I have watched this so many times. I'm thinking through the whole thing, but she's quite old. The graphic sexuality by the standard of the 60s was an issue with this episode as well, and I'm sure they weren't allowed to discuss menopause on television back then. But you have to wonder. And they admit that they put her back together wrong. So the idea that she's... Yeah, it's just... Do you want Telosians delivering your baby? (laughs) I want Telosians nowhere near me. (laughs) <laughs> they almost seem like the Telosians, they're like uh, children playing with an ant farm. They have no idea, you know, the, how, you know, 
how to, how, how one would would or even with a small animal how you would uh help this an animal that's injured um with, without probably doing grievous harm to it uh, but it, it's there's just a weird clumsiness to it yeah and i think your interpretation is good because it makes makes it seem less like a problem with the writing and more like a, a, a problem with Telosian culture itself. But surely someone was sitting in the script room going, Jean, uh, I just have a question. <laughs> Clearly not. But it's uh, perhaps they see humans almost as a zoo animal. Like you see some of the other creatures they have in there. So, you know, they, yeah, they're looking they at it. Yeah. And, you know, uh, I, I mean, they, they, he calls it a, a menagerie. There are other episodes of Star Trek. There's one in uh, The Next Generation where Picard is, is uh, taken off and put in, in a, a jail cell with, like, three other people. Um, and meanwhile, a fake Picard is put on the Enterprise, and he, like, wanders around makes and starts singing. Yeah, he sings, he sings in ten forward and makes out with Beverly and then, like, <laughs> and then sends her away. Um... And so, and, and that was like, you know, random telepathic aliens who want to know what's up with humans. And, and then in Voyager, there's an episode where the invisible aliens, like, connect uh, guide wires and, and machines to oh, all yeah. of the people. Oh, yes. And, yes, and, yes. Uh, and poke different, <laughs> different bits of their body to see what happens. And so it's like this recurring theme of more advanced aliens who have nothing better to do but like look at you know do experiments like treat humans as lab rats and I'm just curious what like what is the moral of these stories what what are we trying to learn from them and that thematically there's also a tie-in and I, I don't I know I think you guys have not seen it, but the show The Orville, which, of course, is getting a lot of Star Trek comparisons. The second episode features something very much like that, where uh, two characters end up uh, sort of in a zoo, being held in a replica of their former apartment, uh, being held by this this race that deems itself far superior to humans. And, I mean, it was a blatant, blatant uh, rip on this episode, but it, it was interesting how they did it. Um, what was uh, what ne- what topic do we next want to talk about this? Do you want to talk about how uh, other ways in which this this episode has influenced future Trek? Yes, because Michael Burnham was explicitly based on Number One. Yes, which is so cool. I had no idea. It makes me wonder how they're going to put the two of them in a room together this coming season. I'm super interested to see how they adapt Number One to now, um, because yes. like, like you were saying. It, She's great. She's a very interesting, multidimensional character now. Like, you know, she, she's bare bones in the episode, but you can definitely see what the the potential is there. And in some ways, you know, they did sort of give her some of her character traits to Spock. So, and he's, yes. you know, Spock. So, so there is a, like, so I'm just, but I'm just interesting to see how Rebecca Romain, who I love, and I have loved, you know, since X-Men. Um, I cannot wait to see her um, because I really don't think that she gets to play the range that she's capable of very often because she's so beautiful yeah. and she's so, like, uh, she's so good at doing her thing. But, uh, and... And I believe she's also on the show, a series called The Librarians. 
and and uh, and she I've, I've seen a few episodes of that and I thought she was very good in that and I noticed that that they the the wig that they have her in is similar but definitely an improvement on the one <laughs> from the, the original number. I have to say that uh, finding out what they were going to do with number one's hair was my main point of curiosity. <laughs> the know. casting, you know, it would fall the way it fell, but the hair. I remember um, at New York Comic Con, they did a, a panel with the entire cast and um, she was the moderator. And then at the, like, at the very end of, of uh, you know, she said, and I am, I've been told that I'm allowed to answer this question. Um, I will be a brunette and I will have a wig. And it was like this, everyone was excited because they were like, you're not, you're not a brunette. Like, we need to know if you're going to be a brunette. It was really funny. She, and she was so cute. But she doesn't have the face that I would have picked for number one. Like, she's not very angular. But I look at her and I see, I do see Nurse Chapel, who was also played by Major Barrett. Yeah. So... That seems like a really good choice. I'm so eager to see how they do the characterization, yep. especially because I think audiences do still have a problem with very stoic women. Yes. You know, we saw it with Olivia Dunham in Fringe. We see it oh. with the reaction to Michael Burnham yes, now. Yes, very much so. We need, we need more stoic women. I would love to see more we of do. them. Yes. And women who don't have a big traumatic reason for their stoicism. Yes. Like, yeah. <laughs> There are lots of different backgrounds for number one in tie-in literature and so on, and none of them are as simple as, eh, she's a normal human lady who's just not very expressive. <laughs> what? <laughs> yeah. Oh, it happens. Like, like, women can have any personality traits? What? Sounds fake, <clears throat> but okay. <laughs> It's interesting how little we've spoken about Spock. Mm. It, it, for a second, I had—I actually, while watching that, I had to Google just to make sure that that was actually Leonard Nimoy because. The, the oh Spock, wow! I was like, wait, he does again. I've seen very little TOS, but I was like, I was like, he doesn't talk or it, it just doesn't—it doesn't look like the, the Spock that I vaguely remember in my memory. Well, he, he seemed—he seemed different. He's. He's not the Spock. He's, he's 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 different. He's a different character. I mean, like in terms of his his personality traits. Like I said, they they grafted number ones onto the Spock character, and he became that. But he's. I mean, he's very he's very young. He's very like uh, opinionate. He he he's emotional. <laughs> he's very emotional. There is this beautiful moment on the planet when uh, they see those those big, like, blue, sparkly leaves plant, like, whatever that is, and he, and he makes them jingle, and then his whole face lights up, and he's so happy, and I'm just like, oh, my gosh. Like, it's just this beautiful moment that you would never see on Spock, you know, going forward. Um, it, so it's always great, and it's not like, like, Spock does smile, but it's, it's in, in response to, you know, huge emotional moments, uh, not beautiful floral and fauna, um, you know, just yeah. just the excitement of being on this planet and and seeing a a species of plant that you'd never seen before. It was, it was just uh, it was amazing, but it was all it was also just he's just so young and so not Spock. <laughs> Sarek is so disapproving. Of yes, and and you you can always like you can say that that he wasn't being that Spock in, in these. And so I'm very interested to see Spock on Discovery 
because you know I I want to see if if he if he does have some of that uh, youthful enthusiasm. I can't hide my emotional human side as well to him. And it would be interesting. I don't want season two of Discovery to be more about Spock and Pike than about Michael. But it would be interesting to take Spock on the journey from being that guy to the Spock that we come to know later. Yeah. Especially if Michael is also on a parallel journey towards being more emotional. Mm, interesting. I also, it makes me, again, I, I, I don't know the history of it, but it almost seems that they had no concept of who the Vulcans were besides having pointy ears when they were created that, like the whole idea of this race of uh, humanoids that, you know, was similar, but also very separate and different from humans. It seems like none of that had even existed. They were just like, okay, put these ears on and just do your thing. Yeah, I think that's it. They made they made the Vulcans up a few episodes later and, and started refining them yeah. from there. Uh, and so, yeah, he just, he was like, I want an alien and it's, and I'm gonna, you know, I'm, I'm going to flesh that out and make it a thing. And he's, you know, because it, it's very, like, you can tell the characters that are important in this pilot, like, you can tell who's going to be a regular. <laughs> and Spock is definitely yes. one of them. Um, he, he, it's, it's clear that he's, a, you know, a cast player. Um, but, but it's not, you're, you're absolutely right that there's no concept of how he's different from the humans. Right, It's right. just... He's, he's, he is. Yeah. <laughs> there he is over there. It's, it's just yeah. the ear. It's basically just some he's ears. Put these ears on, and that's what makes you different than a person. And those, those like, really sweeping demonic eyebrows. Yes. yes oh, he needed to groom those. <laughs> get some, get some uh, boy brow on there. And I would, now, do you think the, the, that doctor, the, the one mixing cocktails, was kind of <laughs> later turned into bones? I think to an extent, but I like Bones much better. Oh, he definitely oh, shares some traits. Um, I mean, Bones is always mixing drinks and, and, you know, giving his his good old boy advice, too. So right. there's definitely... Right. And he's also, like, the older friend to the young captain. Right. Um, yes. You know, not not exactly peers, but, you know, like an older brother <laughs> or uncle or young uncle or... A, you know, so that there's that relationship. Um, and so since we're talking about them or talking about him, I have to mention that in their scene in Pike's quarters, where where he does dispense his uh, his whiskey and advice, Pike it's gin. Okay, sorry. He's making martinis. So sorry. <laughs> I I wasn't paying attention to the alcohol. I was only paying attention to Jeffrey Hunter lying down in the bed. Because yeah, that pose. That, that was, pin up, he was doing like the pinup like, girl pose. Yes, and he he would he Girly like, like your French he, captain. He, <laughs> he drops back into this, and I was like, whoa! I have never been attracted to Jeffrey Hunter, but I am entirely attracted to Jeffrey Hunter right now in this moment. And then he sits up to mope, and then he lies back again in this exact like whoosh. I, I'm gonna have to be dramatic about my lying, and it was just it was so amazing. <laughs> Yeah, I made some note about definitely hotter and can act better than Shatner. Although, I, again, later he kind of, when you see him kind of going full into sort of the Shatnerian school of acting and emoting, uh, there's definitely some of that. But at least at the beginning, like, I, li I was like, huh, I like what I see. The irony is, according to Memory Alpha, when uh, Shatner was interested in the role of the captain, he watched, watched The Cage and he was like... Yeah, there's not going to be this sort of overacting. 
my dude my dude i mean i i it's what my understanding is that you know television was still sort of in its in its young it was it's like you know it's youth and uh a lot of the actors you know they started in theater and they they were trained in this very specific classical way and they didn't understand how to translate that to film and television like and it was also like that it was still you know sweeping emotion was was how you acted it was like there was definitely still a, a like it was it, we were getting towards the where we're going to take things smaller but we weren't there yet i feel yeah even film right. acting wasn't very naturalistic yet it was like they were doing stage they hadn't really figured out how to cha- go from stage acting where you have to definitely emote and project quite a bit to Film acting, they, right. the trans- right. it took a very, very long time for, for all, you know, for that to happen. Yeah, it, it was like, you know, it was new for everybody, the, the directors and as well as the actors. And it, 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 took, it took however many years of watching it to realize. Also, they're making television for tiny, tiny TV sets. Yeah. Mm, yeah. You know, compared with what we have now. And... and so you really did need to probably put in that little bit of extra effort to really pop out of a, a small black and white screen. Yeah, that makes sense. It was so different back then. It's almost like it was made for a different era. Oh my goodness. So I'm looking at the notes and I saw, this is interesting because I was not very familiar. Susan Oliver, is that's the actress who was Vima? Or Vina? Vina. Yes. Vina. And I, I like this note. She overcame a fear of flying to become a record-breaking aviator and was one of the earliest uh, female TV directors before dying of cancer at 58. Like, that's quite a career. Yes. That's quite, quite a lot to go on from, from this one role here. That's pretty cool. Uh, it was interesting, actually. I think it was in the 70s, and I want to say it was the Directors Guild, and I really should have taken more notes when I looked this up on Wikipedia. But at some point, the Directors Guild, or whatever organization, uh, was like... Have you noticed how there aren't many women directing? And so they had this class and they were like, well, we, we don't want to get actresses in this, you know. We're, we're not just doing this for the publicity. But of course, you need publicity to get attention. So uh, among, among the first graduates from this class were Susan Oliver, Maya Angelou. Oh, wow. Wow. Lily Tomlin. <laughs> oh, wow. That's so cool. And quite a lot of other names. That's that amazing. Recognize. That's that's very cool. Though it looks like Oliver didn't go on to direct much. She directed an episode of MASH and an episode of the MASH spin-off Trapper MD, but uh, didn't really seem to get a lot of work. Well, it's still hard for women to get work as directors, so... Yeah, yeah, I don't think this is any fault of hers at all. And when she died, as I said, quite young, uh, she left uh, most of her money to the, the organisation supporting female directors. Oh, that's very cool too. It's it, it actually uh, it's it's a bit of a precedent uh, for a Star Trek actor to later become a director because there's quite a bit of oh that. You got Jonathan Frakes. You have um, uh, Roxanne Dawson. Um, I'm trying to think yeah. of who else. Yeah, but quite a, it, 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 and Jonathan Frakes started. Yeah, this whole trend of getting the different actors to take their turn directing, and uh, so you saw quite a lot of that. And a small handful of them go on to make directing their primary career yeah. after the acting roles yep. dry up. That, I hadn't made that connection. I'm so happy now. <laughs> <laughs> so are we interested to see what they do with Pike on Discovery? Mm. Yeah, because uh, uh, Pike in the 
Kelvinverse is not the same. He's a different animal. He's a really (laughs) generic sort of gruff paternal mentor figure. Yeah. Uh, I mean... And played by Bruce Greenwood, who is wonderful, yes. but not at all a presence like Jeffrey Hunter or Anson Mount. No, yeah, a very different, a very different take on it. Um, I mean, he's a he's put in a different role, and it's a different, it's a different, it's you know that everybody's different over there. <laughs> so, so it's it's okay. I don't dislike it. I like yeah. I like uh, the idea of these interesting parallels but it will be it will be interesting to see Anson Mount take on the pike that is supposed to be the same as this one that it will be it will be interesting to see yeah uh you know uh, because there there's this this pike has a lot of issues (laughs) he's he's a he's starting with women there's there's a lot to overcome in my book for, uh, to, to have the same impact, but not quite as many problematic flaws. He was sort of Gene Roddenberry's first pass at a cerebral intellectual hero. Like number one, he was sort of a character ahead of his time. And it, I am eager to see how he is without the baggage yeah. of 1960s sexism. I'm interested to see, even though Anson Mount is going to be playing this Pike that I don't, I don't dislike him, but like... You know, he really, it's hard to get past a lot of his, that, you know, those, all of the, all of the sexism. And also just that he, he's like, he's literally introduced as moping and he's, you know, he's moping sexily and I can get into that too. Um, <laughs> Sexy again, moping. My, my Anakin problem and even my Kylo Ren problem. But I also just, you know, I, I, I really wanted like someone to slap him around a couple times is like just wake up and and focus on what's and I guess that's what the Talosians did so good job Talosians but (laughs) and that's also one of the one of the issues that the network had with the character that this is not a good right yeah exactly he didn't come off as heroic he came off as an Anakin Skywalker or a Kylo Ren (laughs) so so that you know, and I love them with you know my whole heart and soul. At least Anakin, um, but uh, right. But you need a connection with a character right, exactly. to care about their pain. <clears throat> yeah, apparently he like Kirk. Uh, I'm sorry, Pike is going to be in a better place in Discovery. It's a couple of years later. He's sort of put that burnout period behind him. <laughs> he's okay, and he's going to be the straightforward, decent captain that that poor crew desperately needs. Oh, that poor traumatized crew. In the third, in Star Trek Beyond, in the third Kelvin uh, movie, right in the middle of Kirk's five-year mission, he is having the same problems. Like he is also bored <laughs> with his job and like over it all. And it's and and so it, I, that was interesting to me. I was like, um, but I can put I I like it in Beyond because I already care about Kirk, but in 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 the Cage, I'm like, yeah, yeah. you're you know you're you're, I'm not with you yet. I am not. I am not invested in you to have this. Uh, Get me to like you first, man-made. then I'll care about your uh, existential life. We needed to see Michael Burnham at, at the height exactly. of exactly that. Yes, yes. And that was very good. That was a very good move on their part. Now you you don't you don't get a sense of how far she's fallen and the impact that it has had on her unless you contrast right. that to what she was before. And to see how yeah. she is 
she crawls but, back up there and gets gets hers back, but she's learned and she's a different person and she makes different decisions because of it. Yeah. Yeah, she's come through the hard way. Whereas <laughs> he gets just, to be uh, he gets to be a sex trafficker for fifteen minutes. <laughs> oh my gosh, that's that whole sequence gets harder horrific. and harder to watch every every viewing. And it wasn't and, that great. I mean, the first and time. it's definitely like like I. I watching it i was like okay i get i get what's going on here he is having this like moral conundrum he can't you know i'm i'm the hero i can't i can't sit here and put up with this and 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 play out this fantasy and so he has to leave and he you know he he goes off and that proves that he's really a good person who doesn't want to be a sex trafficker but she follows him and they look at each other you know and they're like smoldering and then fade to black and I was like that is the worst possible choice for like I know what happened and I don't like it (laughs) that is bad the whole concept of the Orion women is bad the women on this planet like to be taken advantage of Oh, I I think I wrote that in my notes just and uh when when that uh that comes up and also uh uh kind of snarking on the fact that Costume-wise, they had in a combination of blue lame and purple lame. So this very bright metallic fabric in these 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 very bright colors, and it was just, that's that's what okay. drew my I, attention. I, these the most. are my um <laughs> uh, my my two two uh, costuming comments on that scene were that Venus is a case of cultural appropriation in the worst way. <laughs> And Pike is wearing oh, an yeah. amazing, horrible space oh, pimp yeah. outfit. Like, <laughs> yeah. oh my god, it is space pimp. Like, that's all I got. <laughs> I I agree that it's very distracting, and it's just like, and why is the other random guy like wearing a Starfleet uniform? Like, I don't understand what is going on. I know. And the other two men in the scene seem like. I almost want to say sort of anti-Semitic stereotypes, one sort of rodent-faced yes. and, and the other... Ah, it's just e- so uncomfortable. Every single thing about the entire oh, scene oh, is uncomfortable. And, and you know, you... I, and they have tried... Like, they keep trying to make Orions better or, like, recover them in some way or, you know, say that this wasn't a horrible, horrible thing that they... Uh, even the network decided they wanted to cover up and never mention again. It's actually, like, you know, a, a real culture that we care about. And it's just, no, just stop. <laughs> just, just stop trying to make the Orions happen. Yeah. I, I, did, I did like that the, the move that they made in, uh, in the Kelvinverse, at least in the first uh, film, having, uh, yeah, Gala, who's, who's a... At the academy, she's Orion. Unfortunately, I, I'm guessing from the fact that she doesn't show up in the next two movies, she did not survive the big attack. But I thought I that agree. was kind of neat that they had her on there. It's like, but it's sad because of every Orion that's that's uh, appeared in Star Trek, like she has the best outcome, and it's to like die in an explosion in space. I would just like to see more Orions who are just regular people. They're not sexy, sexy green ladies. They're not criminals. They're just, you know, what happens when you're an Orion accountant? So should we wrap this up? Yes. 
I think I think I think we 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 covered all the salient points and the things we we, we covered fashion, we covered the 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 societal uh, you know uh, implications of such a thing of of this this episode. I think we we covered everything. Yeah. Thank you for listening to Antimatter Pod. You do not have to rate and review us on iTunes. You cannot support us on Patreon or like us on Facebook. Please send vaguely positive thoughts in our direction and join us in two weeks when we discuss the Star Trek characters we want as our wing women. I'm Annika, and you can find me at Manic Pixie Dane on Twitter and Pixie Dane pretty much everywhere else. And I'm Liz, and you can find me at underscore Liz Barr on t- Twitter, that's B-A-R-R, and squidishly.net. And I'm Ellie, and that's, that's it, I'm just Ellie. <laughs>